All right, guys, how are y'all doing? Good. good. We got one person that's doing good. That is incredible. Hey, let me go ahead and get you to turn in your Bibles with me. Ruth chapter 4 tonight is where we're going to be at. Ruth chapter 4. So as you're, as you're turning there, man, listen, tonight is the night that we end uh, this series, right, called The Vow. So, uh, man, this is the night for the past few weeks uh, we've been diving through this series, right? We've been diving through uh, the book of Ruth, pretty much. And so really looking at this whole standpoint of like, we know where we want to end up. We know what it, what it needs to look like inside of our lives. And so there's been different aspects, right? And so, but as we, as we close out tonight, man, next week is spring break for most of you guys, right? Like who, who all is going into spring break? Come on, uh, there we go. <clears throat> well, listen, Hopefully next week is a time of rest for you. Hopefully it's a time that you can maybe take a deep breath. Maybe it's a time you can kind of reevaluate and like, man, I actually get to sleep in for like one morning or maybe two mornings. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just a time, you know, some of you are like, yeah, right. But uh, so hopefully, hopefully it's a time to just take a deep breath and everything. But uh, <clears throat> for some of us, we are leaving on Friday, just kind of ask for your prayers, leaving on Friday uh, morning to go to London. And so a few of us in this room uh, are going, there's 10 of us going. And so if you could remember us in your prayers, that would be amazing. Uh, so for some of you, hopefully, man, you know, you get like a, a week off from school and stuff. And for others, man, we're, we're going to London. So it's going to be great. Um, not necessarily sightseeing the entire time, but uh, we're going to be partnering with a local church and stuff like that. So please keep us in your prayers. Uh, there's no life group on Sunday. There's no Wednesday night because of spring break. And so the next time we're meeting is in like a week and a half. So man, just be praying for us. We would, uh, we would love that. We'd appreciate that. So man, listen, for the past couple weeks, we've been going through the book of Ruth, right? And talking about uh, really how the vow is this promise, how it is really uh, this big devotion that we're committing our lives to, right? And something, obviously the whole point of the series is, is not to wait uh, until you are in this moment saying your vows to each other. And so really tonight we're going to end in Ruth 4. And so this is just kind of to be transparent with you. I think there's going to be a lot of you in the room um, tonight uh, that are really going to take things to the heart tonight just because of what we're, what we're talking about. I believe uh, man, as I was studying for this, as I was preparing for this, uh, as me and Jamie were just talking through it, just different viewpoints that we need to take throughout this chapter, I, I just, I feel, God, in my heart that many of you need to hear this tonight. Um, and so as we, as we approach this tonight, just hear that we are coming from the utmost love in our hearts and uh, just out of scripture, just wanting to show you guys what, what it really looks like uh, in order for uh, the vow to cost you something. And, and so we've covered all these different things. And so we're going to end on the cost of the vow tonight. And so uh, we're, we're going to be in a few different uh, verses tonight. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. So through that, we're going to look at a few different things that, uh, that cost you, right? Like as you go through this life, uh, what does it mean that the vow cost you in order to get there faithfully? And so look with me, uh, Ruth chapter 4. <clears throat> Starting at verse 1, going through verse 12, it says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, 
who has come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Verse 7. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with the property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Lee, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring of the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. So, oh man, you're like, what does this even mean? There's so much to dive into. So let me just encourage you, uh, the few minutes that we have, just like every week, man, get ready to cheat off your neighbor, maybe write down, be really quick on your phone, take pictures, do whatever. There are a few things that we're going to dive into. First thing is this. Uh, here's how we see a cost whenever it comes to the vow and getting to the vow. Number one, it costs to have a legacy worth bragging about. It costs you to have a legacy worth bragging about. In other words, it costs you to have a legacy that you're proud of inside of your life, right? Now, I want to be clear when I say worth bragging about. This is not something that we're approaching tonight and saying, oh, this life is all about how you can brag on yourself, how good you can do yourself. No, no, that's, that's not what we're saying when we say brag about. Whenever we say brag about, it costs you to have a legacy that you can live your life and look back and say, you know what, this life has nothing to do with me. My, my past, my legacy has nothing to do with me. It's all about what God has done through me. So it costs you to have a legacy worth bragging about. Verses 1 through 4, we're not going to read it again, but it takes us through as we start this chapter out, right? It takes us through the story. So all up until verses uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3, all the way up to chapter 4, we see Ruth doing all this stuff, right? She is working. There's action, man. There's a promise. There's a devotion. There's all these things. Ruth is doing all these things, right? And then at the very end of chapter 3, like we studied last week, we came to this point to where the threshing floor, right? And we talked about how uh, that's the place that, that, that Boaz worked. And so Ruth was naturally, that was her mission field, right? Her mission field was to go to the, to, to the threshing floor. And so that's chapter 3. And into chapter 4, we see this whole idea of Boaz is now kind of the main character speaking up instead of Ruth. And so we make this transition in chapter 4 that Boaz is stepping up after he came in onto the scene, right, really in, 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 in previous chapter, in chapter 3, and we see this whole idea that, that he comes on the scene and he starts speaking, he starts talking, and he starts kind of saying, man, this woman, she, 
she has quite a legacy, right? Like, I'm going to go further than just working and, and just kind of in this mission, but I'm going to go further in what, in what God has. And so really to Boaz, what we see here is Ruth was worth fighting for in the present, in this scripture, because she had been faithful to him in the past, right? Chapters 1 through 3, man, Ruth is faithful. We've talked about that for the past couple weeks. Ruth has been faithful. She's been good. She's been, there's been action in her life, right? Of God, I am not going to sit here scrolling TikTok, right, in this field, right? I'm not going to sit here just kind of wasting my time looking at things I don't need to be looking at. I'm not just going to sit here doing my own thing. No, I'm going to actually go out, and God, you're going to see action in my life that's worthy of your glory, and so Boaz, he's taking note of this. So in the present moment, in chapter 4, what we see is that Boaz is taking notice, and he is saying, all right, I know. I know good and well what this woman has been doing. I know she has been faithful. Man, she, she has been doing what she needs to be doing. And so therefore, what that looks like since that was the past and since I've seen that out of her, inside of her past, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to fight for her. So because I know she is serious about something long-term, because I know she is serious about something long-lasting. She's not all about the pleasure. She's not all about the, the cheap thrills. I know she's willing to put in the work that someone I'm looking for, that, that's kind of what I'm looking for. And so Boaz goes into this moment to where he is kind of, kind of fighting for her and kind of taking up for her in this moment, right? And so we see this out of Ruth's life, that Boaz has taken notice of a legacy that Ruth is able to look back and be like, you know what, God did all that inside of my life. And you know what I did? I was, I was faithful. And I know if I'm faithful, God's going to be faithful inside of my life. I love how Ben Stewart summed this up. We keep referring to this book, and I'm going to do it a couple more times tonight. But he said, your marriage will only be as strong as your mutual commitment to a common vision. And this is, this is so good, right? Because what we've been saying for the past couple weeks, right, we're not going to wait until the moment we are saying our vows to actually live out our vows. This is what Ben Stewart is saying here. He is saying, listen, you need to understand what you're longing for, what you're shooting for, the goal inside of your relationships, no matter if you're single, dating, engaged, or married, like this very night, this is what you need to understand. There's a mutual commitment to a common vision. And so I think this naturally causes us, right, to, to go further than reading in chapter 4 tonight. It causes us to ask ourselves the question, number one, do I have a vision inside of my life as to what I want my life to look like, what I want God to kind of shape me into? And number two, what is that vision? Number one, do I have it? A lot of you don't even have a vision, right? You're like, man, I just want to date whoever will date me because I'm lonely. That's just reality, right? And so, number one, do you, do you have a vision? Do you have that vision that God tells you to have, to strive for? Do you have that, that vision of a legacy that you want to have? But number two, what does that vision consist of? Because reality is, man, you start right now. You start now into what you want to one day end up like. It's the same way with being a follower of Jesus, right? Being a follower of Jesus is not simply making this one-time decision, and the next day you wake up, and you're just, oh, man, I'm perfect, and I'm here, and I have nothing else to work on. No, we know that it's, it's, a, daily, like it's a daily walk with the Lord, and, and your relationship status is the same exact way, right? So if we know we have something to shoot for, then the idea is, all right, I'm going to start now, number one, knowing what my vision is inside of my life, and number two, how do I accurately get to that vision 
while I live my everyday life, where God has me in school, in work, whatever that looks like inside of my life, how do I get to that common vision? Because reality is, odds are God's probably not just working in your life, but he's probably working in someone else's life that you're going to intersect with eventually. And so what you don't want to be doing is saying, All right, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to live however I want and do whatever I want as if a child of God does that. But you don't, you don't want to be in that position because odds are you're like, man, if, if I have a vision, if God has laid this on my heart, I need to be doing my part and be confident that God is faithful in doing this in my partner's life as well at the same time. So I'm confident that they're doing their part. I'm confident that I'm doing my part. And if we're both faithful, then we're going to end up in this legacy and we're going to end up in this common vision of what Jesus has set for our lives. And so you can't, go, you can't really go wrong with that. Here, here's how I like to sum this up. Your journey, your journey to lasting will at, at times be very, very lonely. You will find yourself turning away people, pleasures, and others' priorities because they are not your own priorities. But this is when you realize that a godly legacy isn't just focusing on things you should be doing, but also on the things that you should not be doing. I feel like, man, so many times, we are so good at checking the list of things that we do. Oh man, I go to church, I'm a good person, you name it, I'm this, I'm that. It's all about things that we are doing. And yes, while that is good, right, we talked about action a couple weeks ago, you need to have that action inside of your life that shows God that you're serious, like we talked about last week. But at the same time, when is the last time that you thought to yourself, when is the last time that I haven't done something I don't need to be doing, right? Like, at what point do we come to this place in our lives to where, yes, we're going we're gonna to be doing the things that we need to be doing? Absolutely. That, that's 100%. Let's do it. But do you understand a part of discipleship and a part of you becoming who God wants you to be, even in, your, even in your, your, your life with Jesus, as you walk with Jesus, part of that is this discipline inside of your life, right? Of saying, all right, I'm going to go further than just doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm also going to go the extra mile and I'm not going to do what I don't need to do. I'm also not going to look at what I don't need to be looking at. I also don't need to be, I'm not going to be hanging out with people I don't need to be hanging out with because God's word is very clear, not just not just on what we should be doing, but on what we should not be doing. So I would encourage you, maybe, maybe you're one of those people that it helps you to write it down. Like maybe write things down. This, this is what I'm doing right now in my life. Church, uh, hanging out. I've got a great group of friends. Uh, I've got this going on. I've got all these things that I am doing. But also write down a list of things. These are things I should not be doing according to God's word. These are things that I should, and, and if there's nothing you can think of inside of your life, that's okay. But think about those things inside of your life, like, okay, uh, I, I don't really think that I've done that recently or, or I've ever thought about that. Make a list. Like, these are things, according to God's word, I don't need to be doing inside of my life. I don't need to be participating in that. I don't need to be saying that. I don't need to be hanging around with that. Whatever the situation, make a list so you see on paper, like, th th these are the things that will lead me to, to, to lasting. These are things that will lead me and that will cost me in my life saying no to some things in order to say yes to some other things. Leads us to takeaway number two. It costs you to decline one thing to accept another. So it costs you to say no to something in order to say yes to other things. Verses five through seven. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. So th this is where we see, right, that, that, he is, that he's fighting and he's trying to convince the kinsman redeemer, right, guardian redeemer, saying, hey, 
you may not want Ruth because I want to end up with Ruth, right? And so you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Verse 6, at this, this is kind of where the tables turn. The guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Then verse 7 goes into explaining kind of what all this means. It costs you to decline one thing and accept another. This, this is the, what the scripture where we're going into. We're seeing that for this guardian redeemer or this kinsman redeemer, a lot of scripture talks about for this, for this specific guardian redeemer, we see that him, him saying no to one thing was saying no to Ruth in order that he might accept something better inside of his life. For you, I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying you should say no to someone or something inside of your life, but I'm saying what, what is that thing inside of your life? What are those lists of things inside of your life? For the guardian redeemer, it was Ruth. He said, all right, I've got to, I've got to decline her because this is not right for me. I've got to go on. I've got to keep going. I, I, I've, got to, I've got to keep looking, right? And so inside of your life, what is that thing, what are those many things that you need to look at and say, in order to accept something better, in order to, to continue my walk with Jesus in a powerful way, I've got to turn away some other things. Because the reality is, every single one of us in the room have a list of things that we should be turning down. That we should say, all right, I'm going to draw the line and use discipline inside of my life, and I'm going to say, I want this legacy. I want to decline things for the glory of God inside of my life. I, I want to say no to things for the glory of God inside of my life. I, I want to turn things down for the glory of God inside of my life. I love how one study Bible put this. They said the whole book of, book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, it's going to be on your screen, describes the ceremony conducted when a kinsman declined his responsibility. So just like we're looking at here, when he declines his responsibility, the one declining removed a sandal, and the woman he declined, get this, to honor, spat in his face. Women, would you like to spit in one of these guys? Like, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like, we need to bring that back. Like, guys just act crazy sometimes. Like, yeah, you need to spit in their face. <laughs> he spat in his face. Isn't it cool to learn about this stuff? Like, I, I, can you just see that? Like, can, can you just see that? Like, just walk up on these random people, and taking, dude's taking his sandal off, and this woman spitting in his face. It, it's crazy. But they did it. It's cool. Ah, man, guys, you need to get your act together. Declined to honor. She spat in his face. But in this case, it didn't get to that because there was not a lack of honor involved. Think about it. There wasn't a lack of honor. They just did the part of the ceremony involving the sandal. Now, we know from the video a couple weeks ago, Micah Stedham, he hates sandals and flip-flops, right? We know that. Birkenstocks, right? And so, and so listen, here's the deal. This is what we're talking about. In this day, this is what you see, and, and this is how people did it in this culture. And the, the book of Deuteronomy sums this up in, in a really good way of what people used to do. This, this idea of a kinsman like declining something to accept something greater, what they would do is they would take their sandal off it, and they would say, you know what, I don't need to be taking part in this. I don't need to be agreeing to this because there was something greater, there was something stronger in their life. There was something happening in order for that kinsman redeemer to actually say, I'm going to turn this down. Like, there had to be something so much greater for that person. This is what you got to see as we put ourselves inside of their shoes and we see, man, as they decline something, these guys didn't just have a desire to get spit in the face. Like, they, they didn't have a desire for this woman just to treat them like dirt, right? No, it, it wasn't that. But they were saying, I know that there is a risk in turning something down. 
I know that it involves me having repercussions inside of my life. And the same is true for us even tonight. You know, we look at this and we, and we, we laugh because it, it is kind of funny looking back on it. But, man, if you relate it to your life, man, this is so true. Like, this is so true. There are things inside of our lives to where we know if we decline it, we know that if we turn away from it, there's going to be repercussions. And it's not going to feel good. It's not going to be joyful all the time. It's not going to be something, oh, I'm living for Jesus, so therefore I'm full of joy. No, that's not this. Whenever you decline things this world has to offer you, it doesn't feel the best. And it's not always, it's never the popular thing to do, right? And this is what we see inside of this story. And it just tells us that just because you have the ability and because it's normal to accept something does not mean you should. And this is what the kinsman redeemer is teaching us, I believe, in this moment, is just because you have the ability and the culture actually tells you, do this, like say this, like sleep with this. Do all, like, do this. All these things. Just because you can and it's actually acceptable does not mean that you should. And so this is a, a really cool picture of what it looks like to have that discipline inside of your life. So this naturally leads us to the question, like, when's the last time that you, quote, unquote, took off your sandal, right? To decline something this world had to offer you in order to accept a higher calling on your life. And man, this is where we all need to lean in tonight. And I'm not saying to go around taking off your sandal and acting weird. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying from this context, from this point of view, when's the last time that you actually took a stand, that you actually said, I'm not going to give in to that? When is the last time that you understood your walk with the Lord is actually a really big deal? That, that your walk with Jesus is a very, very big deal, not just for this life, but on into eternity. At, at some point, you have to draw the line and say, this is the moment where I take off my sandal and, and I'm not doing anything else. This is the moment to where I take off my sandal and I give up all my rights. This is the moment that I take off my sandal and I refuse to give in to the pleasure. This is the moment that I take off my sandal and I refuse to feel what that's promising to fulfill me with. This is the moment I take off my sandal, and, and they're not, they're not going to hear me talking like that. They're not going to see me acting like that. This is the moment I take off my sandal, and I don't fit in. There, there has to be this moment, man. you got to see this inside of your life as a follower of Jesus, that you have this natural desire to take off your sandal and to say, for the glory of God in my life, I'm going to take it off, and I'm going to understand the repercussions. They're going to be rough. They're going to be pretty rough. They're going to be pretty bad. They're not going to feel the greatest. They're never going to feel good. But therefore, God calls me for his glory to take off my sandal and to take a stand for his sake inside of my life. Platt said it like this. I love this quote. He said, we are looking forward to an eternal hope because of the mission that we're on. We are living for an eternal heritage because we want to be uh, unrestricted in our affections. We guard against unholy, selfish desires because we want to be undivided in our devotion. We give ourselves wholly to a single desire to use his good gifts for his great glory. 
Uh, do, you, do you feel the weight of, of what this is talking about here? We give ourselves to a holy desire to use his good gifts. This is not something that we are simply talking to single people in the room tonight. No, it don't matter what stage of life you're in. Whatever you're in, naturally, if you are a follower of Jesus, you believe it is a gift from God, right? And so single, dating, engaged, married, no matter where you are, no matter where you'll be five years from now, wherever you are in your life as a follower of Jesus, you got to understand that is a good gift from God. And so our goal, our single desire is to use those gifts for his great glory. So how do you do that? You turn away selfish desires inside of your life. How do you get to a legacy that you're proud of? How do you get to a legacy, heaven forbid, that you stand on an altar one day and say, you know what, I was actually faithful. I was actually, I actually did my part. How do you do that? You do that by saying, I refuse to give in because I know the power of the spirit inside of me is greater than anything on the outside of me. I know good and well, even the power of the Spirit inside of me is greater than my thoughts on the inside of me, anything that ever could come against me. So if our goal is to really have a legacy like this, if our goal is to really come to an understanding like this, like, oh, yeah, we're going to stand up really big and say, you know, we're going to give our lives to one single desire. Our whole lives is going to be wholly devoted to him. If you're going to if you're going to say that, then you need to do that. Right. And so as you as you say that, understand, no matter what area you're in, no matter what your gifting is in this season, by the way, they're all seasons, whatever season you're in, use that gift for his great glory. And if you're not, ask yourself, how can I better use the season I'm in for his great glory? How can I better be a single person for his great glory? How can I better be in this relationship for his great glory? How can I better be engaged to this person for his great glory? What do I need to cut out? Cut out? What do I need to take my sandal off to and say, you know, I'm not going to slap it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up to it. I'm going to stand up to it and say, you know what, uh, we're going to draw the line and there's bigger things to, to live for. Leads to takeaway number three. It costs you to show and accept grace. And this is where I want you to, to lean in in a serious way tonight. Verses 8 through 12. Man, they walk you through guardian redeemer and Boaz talking to each other, removing, removing the sandal, uh, announcing to the elders, right? They, they also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with the property. So it walks you through, it walks you through what is happening. And so here, here's the point, is that it costs you to, one, show yourself grace, and number two, accept the grace that Jesus offers you tonight. Because we did not come into this series, my heart and my goal was not to come into this series only talking to perfect people. My goal was not to talk to the holy people in the room my goal is not to say, you know what, if you've been abiding by these rules and if you've been good enough, then this lesson is for you. Here's the reality. There are many of you, many, many people in this room and going to be watching this who have failed tremendously in these areas. There are many people, many people who see God's grace as easier to accept his grace than it's easier to accept your own grace. There are many people in this room who you say, man, it's so much easier to trust God with my eternity than it is to trust God with my sin inside of this life. There are many people who have taken a stand and said, you know what, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, but every single day, you know what you're doing? You're being held back by the stupidity of your past. And the stupidity of your past is never meant to hold you down, and you've got to understand that. 
And so as we close out this whole series, and, and, and even tonight, it costs you to show and accept grace. There, there's been a lot of talk in this chapter about a uh, kinsman redeemer and a guardian redeemer. Simply put, here's what a kinsman redeemer is. Someone who acts on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, in danger, or in need. And so the whole point, whenever a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer is brought up, is because there has been something happened, there has been something, someone needs to be rescued, someone needs to say, you know what, I've really got myself into it this time, and I, and I, don't, I don't quite know where to go from here. And so this kinsman redeemer would come in, and he would do just that. He would redeem the person. He would redeem the relative. He would take in the relative. He would... Where most people would shun them, he would, he would take them in. And just like we see this in Ruth chapter 4, can you think to John 3.16 with me and understand who Jesus is inside of your life tonight? Understand that he is our present-day kinsman redeemer, Jesus is. And so we're not just looking for a relative. We're not just looking for a person in Ruth 4 to be our kinsman redeemer. No, this is who our God is. You see, if you think back with me, our God, he came, the scripture says, when we were dead in our sins, right? He came for those who were in trouble. He came for those who were in need. He came for those, get this, who were in danger, in danger of their own sin. And so this kinsman redeemer that we talk about, you guys need to understand, like this pertains to you tonight. And there are many people, you are stuck in the stupidity of your past is what, you're, is what you are. You're stuck in a decision that you made in the past, which led to shame, it led to guilt, it led to regret, it, you name it, and it led to it. And so therefore, since you're stuck in it, what Satan likes to do is he doesn't just like to, to get you stuck in something, but he likes to keep you there. And, and so what we do a lot is, is we give in to sin, and we give in to temptation, and we say, oh man, this is not like me, I shouldn't have done that. I, I, I can't get over it. I can't get past it. And so what happens is we keep stacking the shame on, stacking the guilt on, stacking the regret on. What You make your list. Whatever you go, you, you keep stacking it on. And so eventually you're like, man, I, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know how, how, in, how in the world do I, get, do I get through this, do I get past this. And this is the whole point of a kinsman redeemer to say, you know what? You cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it. You made a stupid decision on your own. Oh, absolutely. You made many stupid decisions, right? Some of us, we made many stupid decisions. But the whole point in a kinsman redeemer is to say, you need to understand that my grace is not dependent on your stupid decisions. My grace is not dependent. Your grace should not be dependent on your stupid decisions. Ben Stewart said it like this. None of us are what we should be. If all of us gathered in a room, kind of like tonight, and told our stories... Our presentations would include tragic, horrible, broken, inexcusable things that have happened to us and horrible, sad things that have been perpetrated by us. We have all fallen far short of what God intended for us to be. The world is a mess, yet God is currently populating his kingdom with foolish, weak, despised, broken people, shame-filled people, messy people like you and me. I don't know about you, but I know even as I was studying this, I'm like, oh my gosh. Maybe the gospel isn't about being really, really good. Maybe it is about understanding that as sinful as I have been and as sinful as I ever will be, 
we have a kinsman redeemer who has come to wipe all of it away. We have this kinsman redeemer named Jesus who has come to us and he has said, if you will just trust me, if you will just understand, it's not about how bad you feel about yourself. Get, get, get out of your selfishness just for a moment. It's not about how bad you have done. It's not about your sin. You, so often what we do is we make it all about, well, I've done this very bad thing. I have done this very bad deed. I have said this very bad thing. I've done this with this person. And we never once think, do we not think that the cross is greater than even that, right? And so this kinsman redeemer comes along in Ruth 4, but also with us, Jesus, and he says, I understand who you are. I understand what you have done. You don't have to hide. You don't have to be afraid. In fact, the whole point of who I am is to say, you can't do it, but I can do it for you. You can't make it right, but I can make it right for you. You're the one in danger. I'm not. You're the one in need. I'm not in need. I can give you what you need. And so what many of us struggle with is we, we struggle with saying, I guess we struggle with like, you know, we're not good enough or we haven't lived up to a certain thing. But understand the gospel. The gospel says there's a reason that Jesus has come to this planet for you and for me. To say that you need to understand how weak you are and how strong he is. So here's how we're going to end it tonight. For the sake of God's kingdom. Think about this. Your future, no matter if it's a spouse or if you're single, whatever your future looks like. And yes, even yourself, show yourself grace. Go further than that. And accept the grace the Father offers through His Son, Jesus. And this sounds like a, such a basic Sunday school answer, and I know that. But many of you, you don't understand it. You don't understand it. You're being held back so much. You're being held back so much because of something in the past. You're being held back so much. Even right now, you're like, man, no, I just slipped up today. I just slipped up even before I got here. Like, you, don't, you don't understand. No, you don't understand that you don't have to live your life like that. You don't, you, don't, you don't need to live your life like that. In fact, it's unnatural for a follower of Jesus to live their life like that. So for the sake of the kingdom, as we have walked through the book of Ruth and as we have seen her story and now Boaz comes onto the scene and he is fighting for her because of her faithfulness understand you don't live this life for your own sake and for your own glory right we see from Ruth's story Ruth lived it for the sake of the kingdom so therefore we are to live it for the sake of the kingdom but understand the kingdom is not made of perfect people here on earth understand that understand it is okay to look back and say God I really messed up as if you don't know about it already, I really messed up, but God, I need you. God, I, I need you again. I, I need you again and again and again and again. You can't call on God too many times. Understand that like as you get closer to Jesus, it's not like he'll forgive you. Like, oh, well, I sinned again, so God, God will forgive me. I'll still go to heaven and I'll sin again. No, as he forgives you and as you understand his grace, you will understand that like it's not worth it to keep doing it. It's not worth it to keep getting stuck in the stupidity, right? It's not worth it to keep doing that. And so here's what we're going to do as we go into this response time. You guys were incredible last week. And so here's what we're going to do is I'm going to challenge you again as the gospel has been very clearly presented. And you're like, man, I, I have, I've already chosen to follow Jesus. That's okay. For you, when is the last time that you chose to say, Jesus, I'm serious about you? 
I, I know I chose to follow you at this point, but God, I gotta admit, man, I, I've not been serious with you. I, I, I've, not, I've not been taking my sandal off when I needed to. God, I've not been drawing the line when I needed to. So some of you are like that, and then there's some of you who are saying, I, I, I don't believe I'm a follower at all. I've got all the good things in my life. I've got all these things I should be doing, like we talked about. Man, I got that church down pat. I've got acting like a Christian down pat. I've even got, sometimes I hang out with some of the, the really good Christian people, and that's good. But there's some of you who have never come to the point to where you understood face-to-face -face your kinsman redeemer. You've, you've never understood him. You've never even, number one, understood that language until tonight. You're like, what is a kinsman redeemer? But some of you, you need to make that decision to say, I know my kinsman redeemer, and I know he comes for people who are in trouble, in need, who are hungry, who have messed up, and they can't ever take it back. Kinsman redeemer says, you know what? Even greater than, than being a personal relative, Jesus says, I'm your eternal relative. Like, whenever you choose to follow me, you know what happens? You're, you're a citizen of heaven. You, you are, you're a part of heaven. You're a part of the kingdom of God. And even greater than someone in a physical way, like a cousin or, a, or an aunt or uncle, you're like, man, we have a kinsman redeemer who's not just a relative, but like, he is eternally ours. And so I want to encourage you guys, during this response time, no matter who you are, no matter what season of life you're in, whatever, I want to challenge you to come up to this place again. And I want to challenge you as we close this, this series out, I want to challenge you to show, show God. Tell Him that you, you need Him. Tell Him that you need a kinsman redeemer for this or for that or for that. I promise you He'll understand. I promise you He'll hear you and He'll respond to you. That's who God is. So I challenge you, as, as I pray, you guys make your way. As I pray, you guys move. Jesus, we are thankful. God, we're thankful, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We are thankful, God, that you are our kinsman redeemer. God, that you're the one who says, on behalf of every single one of these students, I'm going to take up for them. On behalf of all their sin, all their shame, all their ugliness, all their stupidity, they got themselves in, I'm going to take up for them. I'm going to come for those who are in need. I'm going to come for those who need help. Jesus, we thank you and we acknowledge that tonight, God, that we are not perfect people. God, we, we can never do what you do for us. So God, I pray for these students, God, as they come face to face with you tonight. God, that you would speak to them individually, God, as you do. You're such a personal God. You're such an individual God. You're not just over this planet, but God, you're, you're, you're over every person. So God, be glorified through this response time. God, we pray that God, even sometime tonight, someone would see you as our kinsman redeemer for the very first time. God, we praise you. We love you. It's in your name we pray.